Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. We've been going at a pretty quick pace here through our first two lessons. Did chapters 1 and 2, then did chapters 3 and 4. And I love the book of Hebrews. I love the logicalness of this book. It just flows. I think it flows better than any other book in the New Testament. Just the logic of here, what is going. We put a slide up last week that kind of shows this. The purpose of the first few chapters of the book of Hebrews is pretty straightforward. Jesus is the greatest. Chapter 1, he's greater than the angels. Chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. Chapter 4, he's greater than Joshua. Jesus created the angels. They serve him. In Hebrews chapter 3, Moses served the house that Jesus built, the tabernacle, the temple. And in Hebrews chapter 4, Joshua took the Israelites into the promised land for rest. But Jesus gives you eternal rest. So Christ is better than Moses, Joshua, the angels. And starting here now in Hebrews 5, and it's going to take us through the next few chapters, Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood. That's greater than Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I love this part of it. Because Christ is our high priest. And that goes back from what we read here. If you're a note taker, you can look here in Hebrews chapter 2. It talks about he's our high priest in verse 17. Then Hebrews chapter 4, he's our high priest in verse 14. It's all about Christ. And what we've ended the last two studies here with Hebrews is now that we know this, what are we going to do with this information? So we get it. Christ is better than Moses and Joshua and the angels. He's better than Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those rules and laws he's fulfilled. But how is this going to impact us and on what we live and what we do? So with that being said, let's get into Hebrews 5. We'll see how far we get tonight because this book flows so great. Verse 1 of Hebrews 5 says, For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed for men and the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. Just a real quick recap. Remember I told you we're going to take Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, some pretty difficult books, and Hebrews 5 through 10 are going to sum it up perfectly in six chapters. This, in four verses, explains the priesthood. The high priest, verse 1, he's a man appointed by God to do what? Offer gifts and sacrifices. Okay, I think we know that. Verse 2, the reason the Lord uses him is because he can have compassion on those. So when somebody comes up and says, I need to offer a burnt offering today. Oh, what would you do? Oh, I did this again. He can say, I know what you're going through. He can minister to them. Verse 3, he's not perfect. He has to offer sacrifices for himself. In fact, when you go back and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, before the high priest can do his job, he has to make sure his sins are taken care of first. You kind of see a New Testament example of this when it comes to people serving in the church. Okay, fine, you want to be in a leadership position. The Bible says, make sure you are running your house. Make sure you got it in order. In verse 4, no man takes this honor to himself. Not just anybody could be the high priest, but had to be a descendant of Aaron. Now, that is a brief introduction to the high priest. Let's talk about the priesthood. I think people skip over this a lot, and I think they're missing a lot here of what this says. Go with me back to Exodus, please. Exodus. You have to remember, the priesthood takes up a large chunk of the Bible. You know, it begins in the book of Exodus. It begins in Exodus 13. 
God's idea of, I want a group of men to minister, to represent, to be the go-between between man and me. It ultimately builds up to who Jesus is. Dustin, if you could put that first slide up there. This kind of just refers to some of the stuff that we're talking about here. And it's kind of hard to see, but I wanted to show this to you. And I I take credit where credit's due. I did not come up with this on my own. And I was going to give credit to the person who did because I absolutely loved this. I closed down the website before I found out who did it. So I would like to pass the credit on, but I don't know who to give it to. So Jesus, his priesthood. Compare this between this and Levitical priesthood. Real simple. Jesus, there's only one priest. It's Christ. Christ alone. In the Old Testament, you had many priests. Remember when we went through Chronicles here recently? Thousands of priests. Thousands of priests that had a shifts. They had days off. They had different jobs. Some priests only carried, only carried certain elements of the tabernacle. This is all broken down in the book of Numbers. If you were a Levite... That's what Levitical means. If you're from the tribe of Levi, you would have a specific job. So if you were back during the 40 years wandering and they were moving the tabernacle, if you were from a certain family, you would know exactly what your job was supposed to be. If you're from the tribe of Gershon, you move the tent. If you're from the tribe of Morana, you move the tabernacle tools. So when Moses came and said, guys, time to move the tabernacle, you knew your job, you knew what you were supposed to do, and you would move it. Certain other Levites did security at the temple. They helped take care of things. I mean, there's this whole system that was set up. Thousands of people doing this. But Jesus is the only one. Next one, Jesus is priesthood. It's eternal. It's Christ. He lives forever. The Levitical priesthood, this was temporary. Granted, it was temporary that went on for thousands of years. But it was temporary because Christ is the ultimate priest. Jesus sacrificed once for all. Priest, they sacrificed daily. Morning sacrifices, evening sacrifices, double sacrifices, sin offerings, constant sacrifices. Jesus is holy. They were sinners. Jesus sacrificed for others. They had a sacrifice for themselves. Jesus offered up himself. They offered up animals. Jesus entered a greater and more perfect tent. They entered a man-made tent. And lastly, Jesus did this by his blood. They did it by the blood of goats and calves. That's what we're going to learn about here for the next few weeks is how Christ is better than all of this. And before you stop and say, okay, I get it, James. Why do we have to spend five chapters on this? Because the Lord thought this was so important to make sure you know that you walk away from this saying, Jesus Christ is the absolute only way that anybody could ever get into heaven. The absolute only way. He's the only one that meets the rules, the requirements. And for us to understand this, we've got to understand the Levitical priesthood. So what do you see here in Exodus 13? And you can follow along with me because we're going to be jumping around a lot. The first priesthood was not the Levites. The first priesthood, Exodus 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it's mine. So what God did at the beginning... Here they are getting ready to leave Egypt. He says, hey, I need a group of people to take care of the sacrifices. So what I'm going to do is this. Firstborn male of every family, you just got drafted into the priesthood. So in my family, my firstborn, Elias, he would then be the priest. He would go in and serve in the priesthood. And they did this for a while until a little bit later on here in Exodus 32. Now what happens in Exodus 32 is this. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law. And as he's up on the mountain receiving the law, Aaron is down below. Moses hasn't come down for days and weeks. What are we going to do? 
So they have this grand idea. Let's take all of our gold and make a calf. And let's worship this calf. Moses comes down from the mountain. Moses sees the golden calf. Moses is so angry, so upset, breaks the Ten Commandments. And he says, listen, judgment has to come upon these people because I'm gone for a little bit. They have rebelled against the Lord. Judgment must come. He goes, I need people to come help me get this in order. Guess who stepped up? The Levites. The Levites step up. And what do the Levites do? This is where it gets difficult. Moses says, go take a sword. Start going now and killing your brethren. Now, there's a lot in that passage. The first point that you see with that is what? If you want to be in ministry, you don't have to go out and kill people. Don't take it literally like that. But if you want to be out there in ministry and you've got to serve the Lord, you've got to realize it's going to be difficult. You've got to talk to friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord that you have known for maybe decades. And you've got to be willing to say, I love you enough to take my sword out, which is the word of God, and admonish, rebuke, and correct. It's not fun to do, but that's what we need to do. Now, some of you may be saying, well, this is why I'm not in the ministry. What did First Peter say? You're all priests. You've all been called to the ministry. The word minister just means to serve. So every one of you is in the ministry. Every one of you is going to be put in a situation sometime where God says, I need you to take a stand for me. And I need you to take your sword out, which is the word of God. And I need you to go admonish, rebuke, and correct your brother and sister in the Lord. Boy, that's difficult to do. But the Levites rose up. The Levites then were rewarded. What were they rewarded with? Check out their reward. When they are lotting the land, the Levites get absolutely nothing. (laughs) How's that for a reward? So they're giving land to Gad, they're giving land to Asher, they're giving land to Reuben. comes to the Levites and God says, Levites, you get no land. In fact, you get no land to make your own crops, you get no towns, you get no cities, you get nothing. Because he says, you know what your inheritance is? Your inheritance is me. Numbers 18, your inheritance, your reward is you get to serve me. And so part of the Old Testament setup was, is that if you were from the tribe of Reuben and you had some Levites in your area, you were responsible to help take care of them. You were responsible to help make sure they had food, etc. It's not that they were getting out of work. Their work was at the temple. That's what they were supposed to do. So they were supported by the other tribes. Their inheritance were of the Lord, offering up daily offerings, offering up special offerings, festivals, feasts, etc., Now, real quick before we move on, if you wanted to be the high priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. Had to be a descendant of Aaron. If you were not a descendant of Aaron, see, Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, and so you were a descendant of Moses or one of other siblings there, you got to be what is called Levites, and you got to still serve in the temple. But the high priest, the priesthood only was through Aaron and Aaron alone. That's the difference between priests and Levites. They're related, but a priest had to be direct descendant of Aaron, high priest, especially direct descendant of Aaron. Levites were other relatives that were not a direct descendant of Aaron, and so therefore they got to serve in the temple. And once again, I wish we could go into more time, but there's this huge system set up on how this system was supposed to work. And so when we're making reference to this in the book of Hebrews, obviously the people reading this would get it, they'd understand it. And so what we're trying to say is now, Jesus is better than this. This would be mind-blowing. If you were a Jew living thousands of years ago and you received this letter in Hebrews and you're reading this, wow, Jesus, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Joshua, he's greater than the Levitical priesthood. 
He's everything. He is the high priest, so therefore, if he's everything, I want to go out and live for him and do everything I can to serve him. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks here. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything but the priesthood thus far to make sure you have at least a working understanding of what the priesthood was? Before we move on. Real quick, I forgot to mention, it started out with every firstborn son was the priesthood. Well, what happened then is after everything changed there with the Levites, God said, now I'm going to use the Levites specifically. So the firstborn son being the priest only lasted for a few years. But when the Levites stood up, that's when the Lord started using them. And then it had to be a descendant of Levi there to actually be serving in the temple, etc. So anybody got any quick questions, comments here before we move on? Alrighty, so let's build on this. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 4, no man takes his honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. No man could work himself up to being the high priest. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. Now let's look at Jesus, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus didn't have to seek out glory to become the high priest. He is God's son. So chapter 1, better than the angels. Chapter 3, better than Moses. Chapter 4, better than Joshua. Chapter 5, Jesus is glorified by God himself. God says, I want you to be this. And you're going to be a priest according to this order of Melchizedek. Keep that thought. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, just follow along with me here real quick. Jesus is this now going to be this high priest. But look at the little background of Christ. Verse 7. Look what Christ went through. Christ had to pray. Christ had to be helped out by God. Christ had to learn obedience to the things which he suffered. Now, but learning obedience does not mean Jesus was disobedient. The Bible says that Christ grew in wisdom and stature in the Lord. This is the beauty of Jesus. You hear me make this point a lot. Pick something you're going through. Okay, you're going through a very difficult physical problem. You're in a lot of pain. You talk to your spouse about it. You talk to your doctor about it. You talk to your nurse about it. You talk to your friends. Guess what? No one gets it. They may be empathetic, they may be sympathetic, but no one knows exactly what you're going through because we can't feel your pain. And that can be frustrating. Jesus gets it. You're going through something emotionally. You had an awful day at work. The stress was unbelievable. You come home and your spouse says, how was work? And you try to explain it to them. And so you're kind of talking about the day and how bad it was. And your spouse looks at you and says, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, then you yell at him because you're like, you know what? You don't understand what I'm going through. Jesus says, I do. Or maybe you have a spiritual issue. You are struggling with something and you try to open up to the pastor or a friend, what have you. And as you're talking to them, you're just like, they're not getting it. Jesus says, I get it. Go back real quick with me to verse 17 of chapter 2. Jesus had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, being tested, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Go to chapter 4 and just remind us what we read last week. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
That's why we can say, verse 16 of chapter 4, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why we can go to Christ. He's the one that gets it. So when I read verse 7 about Jesus praying and Jesus crying out, when I see verse 8 about him learning in verse 9, wow, Lord, you can relate. Aren't you thankful that you have at least one person that when you pray to them, they can relate, they can get it, they understand it. And I encourage you in your walk with the Lord, I am not saying Don't go to your spouse or your brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not saying that. Use the body of Christ for encouragement. But please always remember this. There's truly only one person who can ever say, I get it. And that's Christ. And that's why he is our high priest. The go-between between us and God the Father. He's the one that bridges the gap. He's the only one that completely gets it. Now, before we get on to Melchizedek, anybody got anything to say? Yeah, David. Jesus is not the same rank as Melchizedek. What Jesus is when it comes to Melchizedek, the answer is going to be found in verse 10. He's according to the order of Melchizedek. And we get into Melchizedek, where is that as? In chapter 7. Chapter 7, we get into Melchizedek. See, this you got to remember as we're reading through this book. The idea is if we could do it all at once, that would be great and wonderful. But we have to cut it up here. So, getting to Melchizedek. The reason there has to be the order of Melchizedek, because if Jesus was going to claim to be the high priest according to something here on this earth, we just read right there, here's the problem. Look at point number four under the Levitical priesthood. They were sinners. So Jesus can't be the high priest of a priesthood that is full of sinners. So there had to be a separate order of priests, that's Melchizedek, which we'll get into in chapter 7. So it's not that they're the same rank, it's that Jesus had to go in through a different order because that order was the perfect order that was ordained by God. And I know it's kind of confusing because we're not to chapter 7 yet, but please do note in verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now ignore the dull of hearing part right now because I'm not trying to insult you. It is difficult And that's what I like about this book. So what David is saying is making a very good point. We have to get to the order of Melchizedek and understand what that means. And we're going to get to that in chapter 7. We're just being introduced to it right now, basically saying Jesus is the high priest. And he's a priest according to this other order, not the Levitical priesthood, because the Levitical priesthood was full of sinners. And Jesus was without sin. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Ryan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's called a theophany. It's what they call an appearance of the second figure of the Godhead in the Old Testament. Real quick, I remember one time I was trying to sound very intelligent teaching, probably about 20 years ago, and I wanted to talk about theophanies, and I pronounced it theophanies. And uh, I wondered why everybody laughed. But. Yes, they believe that Melchizedek could be an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And I'm not picking on you guys, um, but that's, that's in chapter 7. <laughs> so we'll get to that, but they're absolutely right. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing, if you were reading this, 
If you were reading this 2,000 years ago and you just got your mind blown, Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than Joshua, he's better than the high priest. And as you're reading this in verse 5, you'd be like, okay, chapter 5, verse 6, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You get to verse 10, according to the order of Melchizedek, and verse 11, of whom we have much to say. Well, then, then tell me what this means. And the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, I'll get to that. Chapter 7. It's coming. And like Ryan was making reference to, there's a lot of interesting points about Melchizedek, about not having a beginning and not having an end, and etc. And what does that mean? And Melchizedek then appeared to Abraham in the Old Testament, and Abraham tithed to him. There's, there's a lot of fascinating stuff with that. And like I said, we'll get to that in chapter 7. But the point is, there had to be something. There had to be something of where Jesus could be the priest, not through a sinful priesthood. It's like, who is the Father of Christ? It's God the Father. Because if the Messiah would, could come through two sinful people, well, then he'd be a sinner just like us, born into sin. He'd have to have someone take care of his sins. Jesus, that's why we have the virgin birth. Because Christ was born into this world, not of sin. So now, if we said Jesus is the high priest of all high priests, according to what? According to the order of the Levitical priesthood. He can't. Why not? Well, the high priest has to be a descendant of Aaron. Has to be a Levite. Jesus is a descendant of David. And he's from the tribe of Judah. He can't fulfill it. That's why we have the order of Melchizedek. Which we'll get into here in a couple weeks. So, Kathy. Yeah, I think, you know, it was written to the Jews, and it was written to the Jews with this understanding that you, you know who Jesus is, and as you're trying to move forward in your walk with Christ, you have thousands of years of tradition and rules and regulation that are holding you back. And so you have to work through this. You have to work through who Christ is. Now, I, I can't say for sure, because I wasn't around 2,000 years ago, I don't think there were too many Jews that when Melchizedek was name-dropped here, that they would have said, oh, I remember him from Genesis. I don't know, maybe they would have. But you have to think of the mentality of a Jewish person. Here they are, and all of a sudden the world was completely blown away. For, for years you're raised with this mindset of you go to the temple, you take your, your animal with you, the animal is sacrificed, and guess what? Your sins are gone. Now all of a sudden people are saying, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Why not? Well, there's this guy named Jesus. And, oh, by the way, he was born of a virgin. And, by the way, he lived for 33 years, and he also died, and he rose again. And guess what? He's better than Moses and Joshua and the angels and the priesthood. That's difficult for them to understand. And I think sometimes what has happened is we have become so desensitized to who Jesus is. We're like, okay, James, I get it. But do we get it? I mean, do we really get how absolutely amazing it is of who Christ is? Because if we really got it, wouldn't that completely change the way we look at the world and how we act and absolutely everything we do? Because, Lord, you were just that amazing. That amazing. Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Okay, now the next part I didn't write. Don't get mad at me. Go back to the end of verse 11. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to perfection. 
Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptism, of laying on hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. Okay, did you catch what the writer of Hebrews just said? That would be like me standing up here on a Wednesday night. Guys, i got something to tell you. You've quit growing spiritually. You know, I've known a lot of you guys for years, and guess what? You, you guys have flatlined years ago. You're the exact same spiritual state that you were when I first met you. You guys should be doing a lot more. You guys should be leading Bible studies by now. You guys should be serving in the back. And what happens is i got to keep spoon-feeding you here the basics of the faith. You, you tell me you've walked with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Well, I'm not seeing it because you're not growing. Verse 13 you're a baby. I want to teach you more. I want to take you deeper. But I can't. Because I can't move past the basics. Because you guys are, verse 11, dull of hearing. Now, note it. I did not say that. But that's also truth, isn't it? Isn't it true that you probably know some people that have been walking with the Lord for a real long time? And what happens is this. There's this, when you first get saved, there's this amazing growth in the Lord. And then what we do is this. We just kind of flatline. I say this all the time. We're not going to do anything morally stupid. We're not going to do anything dumb. But we just kind of become this run-of-the-mill Christian that loves the Lord. But we just kind of stay right here. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys got to move past this stuff. You've got to move past it. To the point of, he says, you should be teaching other people instead of me teaching you. Is that not the goal of what Jesus laid down for us in Matthew 28? Go ye therefore and make disciples. You are supposed to go take people deeper in the Lord. So what I always used to do when I taught a discipleship class was this. We'd finish the discipleship class and I would say, guess what? You go find somebody now and disciple them. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, we've discipled you. We've given you a foundation of faith. Now you go find somebody. Can you imagine if the church actually did that? So we start out with discipleship class, and we got five people that go through discipleship class. We could then give discipleship class. Those five people will get five people. And I take another group of five. Can you imagine what that would do to the body of Christ? But what happens a lot of times is we sit here, we hear it, we like it. This is good. And then we just say, can you give me another bottle, please? Then can you give me another bottle, please? And then you got saints that are 40, 56 years old saying, can I have another bottle, please? No, it's time for solid food. Well, I need to hear it again. Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, wait a second. I want to move past this. Look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. He goes, guys, I, I, I want to move past this stuff. I want to take you to deeper things. I don't want to tell you again about the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, of baptisms, of laying on hands, of resurrection of the dead, etc. He goes, verse 3, we'll do this if, if we have time. But it's time to grow deeper. You guys remember for parents that are here. You get your baby, you bring your baby home, and if it's your first kid, you don't realize it. But by the second, third, fourth, fifth one, when they're newborns, you just put them someplace. And they don't move. It's the greatest thing in the world. And so as the first-time parent, you're like so excited, they rolled over. And then when you're a second, third, fourth, fifth, it's like, oh, they rolled over. That means they can get to stuff now. 
It was so easy when I could just plant them someplace. And then when they start rolling over, they start to crawl. First time parent, oh, that's so cute. Second, I was like, oh, damn, they're crawling now. Okay, get the gates up. Got to get the gates up. And then once they start crawling, what do they do? They start pulling themselves up on stuff. And anybody that knows that, they pull themselves up and they slip and fall. Chin pops. Okay. Then they go from crawling to pulling up to that really funky walking. I remember one of our kids, we had just completely encased our entire living room with cushions. They take two, three steps, fall. Take two, three steps, fall. And then they get to the point of walking. And then they get to the point of running. And you're constantly telling them, don't run in the house. Then do they get to the point of tackling? You know what I mean? It just kind of keeps going. It's exciting. It's fun. It's neat. But there's progression. It's progression of where they go from the bottle to their first foods and their first foods to... I remember it was like, wow, we don't have to cut grapes in half anymore. That is the greatest feeling in the world. I don't have to cut a hot dog up in these tiny little dime-sized portions. I don't. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell the church is, guys... I'm done with the bottle with you guys. Grow. Grow. Same thing happens today in churches. Same thing happens today, and let's be blunt, it happens at harvest. It happens. We could say verses 12, 13, 14, and verses 1, 2, and 3, it applies exactly to us too. I can say with a clear conscience, I promise you, and if I say I promise, I mean it. I'm not thinking of anybody individually, but I know there's people out here at church, man, they could be teachers by now. They could be. But they're pretty happy just being right here. There's people I know that they don't need a bottle, but yet that's where they want to stay. They're comfortable with it. There's people I know that, verse 14, they need solid food. But they don't want it. They want to stick with the bottle. And there's people we know that verses 1 and 2 that we're just going to keep going over the same elementary principles. God love them and I love them. That's what we'll do. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's time to go deeper. And you know what it means to go deeper? It means more sacrifice. It means more study time. It means more of everything. The problem with the flatlining Christian is you're usually pretty content. Marriage is in pretty good shape. Morally, you're in pretty good shape. Things are going pretty good. But really, what we're learning here is it's time to go deeper. It's time to go deeper. And the question comes up of how deep do you want to go? Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear. Christ will only take you as deep as you personally want to go. He will not force it on anybody. And you know what? I used to try to force people. You know what you'd be good at? You'd be good at doing this. Now, if the Holy Spirit leads you, the Holy Spirit leads you. Let's do this. Can you go with me real quick to Matthew 13? Rich and I say out here all the time, the parable of the sower and the seed explains everything. We'll finish up with this in Matthew 13. Look here at Matthew 13. You guys know the parable of the sower of the seed. I'm not going to read all of it here. It starts in verse 3. He goes out to sow. Some falls on the wayside. Birds come and eat it. Some fall on stony places. Spring up real quick, die away. Some fall among the thorns, the weeds, they get choked out. Some fall on good ground. Verse 8. Yield a crop. Some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, 
That's exactly what it is. I'd go outside right now. I go on this side of the church. I got my grass seed with me. I start scattering it. Some's going to fall on our concrete drive-through path. Nothing's going to grow. Birds may come and eat it. Didn't even get a chance to grow. Didn't want to grow. Okay, some will fall on the driveway. It will, and it will sprout up. I remember when we seeded our yard, that was the first grass to come up. The stuff that got laid on the stones. Some will grow over here where there's weeds, but it will get choked out, and some will grow in the good ground, in the good yard, and will become nice, lush grass. Same thing happens spiritually. When I teach, preach, or whatever, or when you share Christ, you are planting a seed into somebody, and one of these four things are going to happen. They may completely, utterly reject what you have to say. Concrete. Right over there to the wayside, nothing happens. They may hear it and say, I can't, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. I'm going to be at church on Sunday. And they come to church on Sunday. They come maybe once or twice, and then you don't see them again the rest of your life. They're the ones that say, I want to do that discipleship. I want to do that Bible study. This is amazing. Maybe they come once. Maybe they come twice. Some grow up, but they're amongst the weeds, and there's no fruit. No fruit. Why? Because there's just so many thorns in life. Why is there no fruit? Oh, it's just so busy right now. It's just so busy. I mean, work's busy. Kids are busy. Life's busy. There's just just so much going on right now. And what happens is their spiritual life gets completely, utterly choked out. The last group, some 100, some 60, some 30. What I wanted to bring to this point was this. There's going to be different levels of return. Not everybody is called to do the same ministry. Not everybody is called to do the same thing. I, I remember when I first started serving out here at church, the first place they put me was in the nursery. Okay, I'm not called to be in the nursery. Okay, after they put me in the nursery, I remember they, they moved me up. And I don't mean moved up like promoted. They moved me up age-wise. So next thing you know, I was dealing with the little kids. I'm not called to do that. I served back with the back and four to five-year-olds. There was a brief season out here at church where we were in between youth leaders. For a span of about three months, I was the youth leader, teens. Oh, my. I will never do that again. I am not called to do that in any way whatsoever. I have said this before, and I'm clinging to this thought. Jesus is returning before my kids hit puberty. I'm just telling you that right here, right now. I'm called to do what I'm doing right now. That does not make this more important. And the problem is, I'm more visible than other people. The problem is, yeah, the messages get put online. Yeah, I'm the one that comes up and does announcements. Yeah, I do that. And I'm telling you right now, if you just go past that drinking fountain, there's a whole lot of people serving back there. And they're really doing a good job. And guess what? There's going to be people that come out tomorrow morning that you don't even know. And they're going to clean the bathrooms and sweep this area up. There's going to be a lot. You're going to come here for the potluck on Sunday. There's going to be literally hundreds of chairs set up and tables set up that people took care of. Amen. The point is this. You find where you're called. You go where you're called, and that's what you do. And I think I can say this. The worst thing you could do is just sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Man, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. What are we going to do with that information? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here tonight, he says, listen... You know the truth. Live the truth. And he says, it's time to go deeper. What does that look like for you? I don't know what that looks like for you personally. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's time to go deeper. Get off the bottle. Get off that baby bottle. Move on to some solid food. And you know what? Start teaching. 
That doesn't mean you start up a Bible study in your home. It doesn't mean that you're not going to start the. It just means, Lord, I want to impact other people. I want to disciple somebody. And you know what? Maybe you're saying, I want to, but, you know, James, I see these elementary principles. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Uh, you know, I need a little reminder of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrines of baptism, laying on hands, resurrection of the dead. Guess what? If you want that, Virtue is doing a discipleship class right now on Sunday mornings at 845. If that doesn't work for you, guess what? I will love to meet with you. If I can't meet with you, I will hook you up with somebody that can. But we've been doing on some Saturday mornings here. Actually, we've been doing it since January. I had this great idea at the beginning of January. I met with a few guys, and I said, we're going to do this. We're going to go through the book of John together. So I meet with a couple guys in Dutch, so then I meet with a couple guys in Hamler. On Saturday mornings, going through the book of John. And I think John has 21 chapters. So I said, okay, we're going to do a few chapters a week, so we'll get this done in like two months. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go find a couple guys, and now you go through John with them, and we're just going to disciple. Okay, ten months later, we're in chapter 13. (laughs) So... We have not moved the pace that I thought we would move, but I absolutely love it because it's just guys that get together and say, let's just talk about Christ. If that's what you want, I want to do that with you. And if I can't, I'll find some guy that can't. And ladies, if that's what you want, I would love to hook you up with a gal that would love to meet with you and say, let's grow and go deeper together because we got a lot of just right here. Now, let's go deeper. Not because we have to, not because it's legalistic, but because, you know what? Jesus is greater than the angels and Moses and Joshua and the priesthood. He's he's the greatest thing ever. I I just want to go tell people about Christ. That's what Hebrews is trying to tell us. And what we're going to do now, starting here next week, and I tell you, if you've never read the first part of Hebrews chapter 6 from verses 4 through 8, that, I think, is argumentably one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible. We're going to get into that next week. And yes, we will get into Melchizedek in chapter 7. He's coming, I promise. All right, it's coming up to 8 o'clock, so we've got to finish up here. Anybody got any final questions, comments, complaints about anything that we covered here tonight? Lynette. Yes. You know what happens? People come up to me before church and said, James, don't forget, if I don't write it down... I do not remember it in any way whatsoever. Lynette, if you want to come up and say something real quick here, Lynette's going to come up and say something. Has anybody got any other questions, comments here about anything with the message here? All right. I'm going to close up with prayer. Um, we're going to have Lynette then say something, and then when Lynette's done, then if you guys want to come up and pray, you can. They're here too. Lord, we just thank you for the evening here. Lord, we want to grow. We want to grow in you, and we want to grow the right way. Lord, we want to teach. We want to teach others about you. If there's someone here tonight that you're stirring their heart saying there's more, there's more, reveal that to them. Show that to them. And, Lord, what a blessing it is to spiritually minister to other people. And we want to, Lord. We want to disciple others to know you better. We love you and we thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Now, that's going to share something real quick. Then if you've got something you want to pray about, come on up here and I would love to get a chance to pray with you.